The message today will be out of Genesis chapter 44 and 45. 44 and 45, but prior to there, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 17 of Luke chapter 10, the Lord's words are as follows. Now the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At this very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see. And did not see them, to hear the things which you hear, and did not hear them. This is the message that will be today. You will see and hear things that they wished to see and hear. You will understand things that they wish to see and understand, because we have the entirety of the scripture to tell us of how to understand the events that happened in the life of Joseph and his brothers. Before we continue, let's pray. We ask you, great and glorious Father, our Father in heaven, our true Father, we ask for your understanding, for the Holy Spirit's guidance, for the humility that we all need to understand what you have given to us, to understand the importance of why this word is given to us, to strengthen us in times of need, to strengthen us when we don't even realize that we need strengthened. We ask that you continue to be with us during this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of the message is Salvation in Egypt. Perhaps not my best title, but is the one we're going with. It seems to encapsulate what is actually happening or what will happen here at this period of time. There are many parallels in chapter 43, 44, and 45 to just chapter 42 that we read. And I'm only giving you this just so we can see that there is a, this story, uh, this narrative about Joseph and his life is so great. If we went to 42 verses 1 and 4, uh, you know, Jacob's sons go to Egypt. We see the same thing in 43, 1 through 14. We see the arrival in Egypt in chapter 42, verse 5. We see the same thing in chapter 43, verses 15 to 25. We see the first audience with Joseph in chapter 42, verses 6 through 10. And we see the similar event in chapter 43, verse 26 through 34. We see the brothers in custody in Genesis chapter 42, verse 17, and we'll see the same thing today in, verse, in chapter 44, verses 1 through 13. We'll see the second audience of Joseph, which first occurred in chapter 42, verses 18 through 24. We will see that again in chapter 44, starting in verse 14. We'll see the departure from Egypt that first occurred in chapter 42, verses 25 through 28, We'll see that again in, verse, in chapter 45, 16 to 24. We'll see the sons report to Jacob what has occurred. We saw that first in chapter 42, verses 29 through 38. And we'll see it again today in chapter 45, 25 through 28. 
this, the entirety of this story, if we were to look at Genesis in 37 verses 5 through 10, we would find the fulfillment of that dream where Joseph recounted and he said, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers, so they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. Indeed, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf rose up and also stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then the brothers said to him, are you really going to reign over us or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he had still another dream and recounted it to his brothers and said, behold, I've had a, still another dream and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he recounted it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers really come to bow down, bow ourselves down before you to the ground? We're going to see that this occurs and is confirmed three times that they do this in the text. We're going to see how he, Joseph, was sold for silver, and yet that silver was returned. We will see that they were unable, the brothers were unable to speak with their brother in verse, chapter 37, verse 4, and now that they will speak with their brother. We will see that Jacob mourns to Sheol about the loss of his son, but now he will be restored to his son in chapter 45. It is a salvation, redemption story here with the central part of this in that chiastic structure you may hear about found in chapter 44 in the arrest of the brothers 1 through 13. So there are many things here and you may be questioning, say why are you doing two chapters instead of one? Well, because of the way the narrative lays out, it must be completed as one or you don't get the story. And I am not a fan of doing two-part sermons. I take that back to Martin Lloyd-Jones' experience with two-part sermons during the Blitzkrieg in London, where he gave a sermon in the morning and he said to come back in the evening for the second part of the sermon and a number of his congregants were killed that afternoon. He said, I will never do a two-part sermon again. It must be incomplete. It must be complete when it's done. And we will hopefully, and I trust we will see, that the gospel is clear in this. Those things that those patriarchs wish to see, you are the recipients of those things. First Peter, Peter the apostle, tells us about that, that those, these stories, these narratives, these prophecies were for your benefit. You sitting here today, you who would be found and saved in Christ Jesus. So we must keep that in mind as we go through this particular narrative. Starting in chapter 44, in the first half will be verses 1 through 13, and I will read God's word at this time. Then he commanded his house steward, and I will stop for a moment, I apologize for this, but this is right after Benjamin has been given five times the amount that everybody else was given. And five times the amount, Benjamin, the only remaining, as they see it, son of Rachel, their half-brother, was given more than they had been given. Yet they weren't upset about it. They weren't jealous about it. Everything is copacetic. He says, and then he commanded, Joseph commanded his house stewards, saying, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Very similar to the last time. Now put my cup the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As the morning light broke, the men were sent away and they, they were with their donkeys. Now they had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Arise, pursue the men, and you shall overtake them and say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from whom, from which my Lord drinks, which he indeed uses to interpret omens? 
You have done evil in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. And I'm going to pause right there. This test that is set up for the brothers, it is a test to see whether or not they have changed. 22 years have passed. 22 years. Since the events of him being cast into slavery. We know that Joseph wept before when he heard his brothers speak about what they had done to him. And he, when they didn't know, he could understand them. We know that they have listened and brought back Benjamin as he required. And it is a test for them and what type of persons they have become. And the steward has stopped them again. He has stopped them to search them. And they say in verse 8, and they say in verse 8, Behold, the money which we found in the mouths of our sack, the money which we found in the mouths of our sacks, we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Listen, we found the money from before, and we brought it back. In fact, not only did we bring that money back, we brought other money back. How could you accuse us of this thing? And they say, with whomever, in verse 9, of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. They are so confident in their innocence that they have done nothing wrong, that they say, if you happen to find anything, because we know you're not going to find anything, they're presuming that nothing will be found, those people should die. Whoever it is found in, that should die. They should be killed because of that. Remember, it's Joseph's test. Then, in verse 10, it says, So he said, the steward said, Now let it be also according to your words, He with whom it is found shall be my slave, but the rest of you shall be innocent. Whom it shall be found shall be my slave, the rest shall be innocent. He doesn't take that death penalty to them at that moment. And he says here, Then they hurried. Each man brought his sack down to the ground, and each man opened his sack. So he searched. Begins with the oldest. Now think about this for a second. Number one, it's almost some sort of, from their perspective, starting from the oldest to the youngest, how did they know who the oldest was? Maybe the youngest was obvious, but how, does they, how do they know the order that we go in? But this is the way the story is set up. We're going to start from the oldest to the youngest, and we're going to go through that list. This is how we're going to search the sacks. This is how, with every empty sack that is found that doesn't have the silver cup, their hope is buoyed by that. They say, see, that's another proof that we are innocent. Or at least, that's what they assume. Beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, we remember that Judah promised to protect Benjamin. Judah, the catalyst, the one who was the catalyst by, by, by putting Joseph in, uh, with, with the catalyst behind the events with regard to Joseph and then being sold into slavery, he was the one who said he would protect Benjamin, his half-brother, and lo and behold, within his sack it is found. Notice how they don't even mention the money that is placed in the sack. It is all about the silver cup of Joseph. 
cup was found in Benjamin's sack, and their response in verse 13 is this. Then they tore their clothes. That tearing of the clothes is, is what you see when somebody dies. You still see it to this day in the Jewish faith that they will tear their clothes. They'll even sew things onto their clothes so they can be torn. But it is a sign of mourning. It is the sign of the worst thing that could happen. It's the sign of this is the, 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 something unbelievable has occurred. Benjamin, the one we are to protect, is the one whose cup, who, who Joseph's cup is found in his sack. How could this possibly be? How could this happen to us? The last born son of Rachel. A favored son of Jacob. The one that Jacob did not want to go back to Egypt. Fourteen. We will have 14 through 17 is the confession of the brothers. 14 through 17 is the confession of the brothers. They loaded, they had torn their clothes, they had loaded their donkeys, and they returned to the city. And now in 14, then Judah, Judah seemingly the de facto leader that we have here, Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there. So they fell to the ground before him. Remember what we read in Luke. This has been given for you, for you to hear this story. They fell before uh, Joseph at his house, and Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can interpret omens? Now, interestingly enough, Joseph is just adding on to the, to the storyline that's going here. He's adding on to the problems that they have. He is working, he's literally working them over with his testing that is here. Remember, Joseph starts with dreams. Joseph then interprets dreams. Joseph then gets, because of these things, into this position of the second greatest power in Egypt. And don't you, Hebrews, know who I am? How could you possibly think you would get away with stealing something from me? Don't you know? So Judah said in verse 16, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? Because the evidence is clear. The cup is there, right at the mouth of the sack. It wasn't even truly hidden. And it was right in Benjamin's, the youngest sack. What can we possibly say? And Judah says these words, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. In other words, Judah's interpretation of this event of the impossible happening is that God is now punishing them for what they had done to their brother, Joseph. That is Judah's interpretation after 20 plus years that they are now caught. And this is part of it. Now, the issue that we have is this. The issue that we should see from our perspective is God does not punish wrongly. For God to cast judgment on them, for, for him to interpret that God is judging them for something different that they did by punishing for this thing that they didn't do, is to bring disrepute upon the Lord himself. Because the Lord we know punishes what? Rightly. He doesn't punish wrongly. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 verse 25. God is an impartial judge. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. So Judah is wrongly interpreting the events that are occurring. 
he is wrongly seeing his, in their unrepented of guilt for what they've done to their brother and that this has occurred to them. God has found out our iniquity. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, Joseph said, but far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Now remember, I, this is, we, we now come to the end of the, of the brothers of their confession that we have here. Judah is the de facto leader uh, confessing to the iniquity that they've, they've performed. Uh, beforehand, that, that that's how God has meeting out justice to them. But we're not done. We're not done with that part of the te- uh, of that part of the story yet. Because we come into verse 18. And we could say that verses 18 through 34 would be Judah's redemption. Judah's redemption. Because we know God does not punish unjustly. So Judah speaks in verse 18 and said, Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears. And do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. A true statement of his equality to Pharaoh. Everything was passing through Joseph's hands during this time. He is rightly supplicating himself before Joseph. And he says in verse 19, My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And this is, the, this is one of the interesting parts about this Joseph story. We get into these long sections. We have a short section, the famine was heavy. And then we have these long sections of these conversations of recounting of how we got to where we're at. Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead. So he alone is left of his mother and his father loves him. So Rachel, we remember, died giving birth to Benjamin. When you're Hebrew, Benjamin, right? Father loves this young boy. In verse 21, then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, if your youngest brother does not come down to you, you will not see my face again. In other words, there is no grain that you will receive to weather the famine with unless you bring the younger brother down. Thus it happened that when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. Now we have skipped many parts about that with John covered last week of how the father didn't want to send Benjamin back. How could you tell this man that you had a younger brother? All the mistakes that you made in doing this. But the father relents. Jacob relents to send the brother to to the young boy back. Father said, go back and buy us a little food because we remember the famine was heavy. We remember that the food that they had gotten had run out. We remember that they were dying in the land of Canaan where they were living. And they had to go back. In verse 26 then of 44, it says, but we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. The one went out from me. And I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. We remember that whole scene. If you take this one away, uh, one from, also from me, harm befalls you. Will uh, harm befalls him, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in evil. 
Now when I come to your servant, my father, the boy is not with us, and his life is bound up in the boy's life, so it will be that when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Think about how many times he has said his father will die so far. For your servant became a guarantee for the boy to my father. Remember, Judas said, I will protect him. I will be his protector. I will be the one that will look out for him. I will be the one that will be responsible for him. I will be the one that will take care of any problems that happen to Benjamin. For your servant became the guarantee for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the sin before my father all my days. So now please, let your servant remain. Let me, Judah, remain instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord and let the boy go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the boy is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? Now think about this for a second. This was a test to the brothers that was given. And look at the response of Judah that has come. This is the first recording we get of sacrificial love in the scripture where one is substituting for another. This is the first time we see it in the holy text. But, before I go any further, Judah is not the Christ-like figure. It is, yes, the first example of, of, of sacrificial love, but that is not the Christ-like figure of this story. You would, as a means of reminder, you bear with me for a moment. We've got to read again. Luke chapter 10, verse 23. And turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and do, did not hear them. Remember, we're understanding this from the time between the cross, between cross and crown time. We are understanding the things that we see here, unlike the Israelites who have been brought out of slavery in Egypt, who are seeing this as a great story of hope that through man's, uh, man's iniquity and evil, God brings about his redemption. We are seeing that redemption in Christ Jesus, and we look back and see how God has not only shown us uh, how he has protected the remnant, but we also see actions that look Christ-like through that. But Judah is not the one we are focused on in this text. Judah is merely the precursor for what is coming next, which is in chapter 45. Judah makes this sacrificial offer indicating that the test is passed because we see that the test that Joseph has put out in verse 1 of chapter 45 has been successfully navigated by the brothers. Then Joseph, when he heard this out of Judah, the one who was the leader of the gang, so to speak, when, then when Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he called out, has, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him. And what does he do? When Joseph made himself known to his brothers... We could call these verses 1 through 15, or verses 1 through 15 of chapter 45, reconciliation. In fact, we can see it as reconciliation unlike anything we've seen before in the text. 
send them away, all these Egyptians out of here. We recall back to what John would have covered last week in 43 about how the Egyptians and the Hebrews could not eat together or be close to each other. His brothers think that he's Egyptian because of his position. In verse 2 it says, Then he wept loudly. And the Egyptians who were out of the room, out of the area, heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? He could not hold himself or restrain himself anymore. He had to reveal himself to his brothers. He had to know if his father was still alive. But his brothers could not answer them, for they were terrified at his presence. These things are making no sense to them. Right? For 20 plus years, in their mind, their brother has been dead. Or at least sold into slavery. There is no way that these two things make sense to me. That the second in charge of all of Egypt is our brother. He doesn't even dress like a Hebrew. He doesn't even act like a Hebrew. Before us. They're probably not even thinking about the bowing down that has occurred. But his brothers could not answer him. They were terrified at his presence. Of course they would be terrified. Second in charge of the greatest nation in the world. The one who literally holds life and death of them in their hands. All of their life is truly in his hands right now. Not only was it in the hands because of the food that he was able to give them, but it is in their hands because of this thievery that has occurred. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I am Joseph, your brother, who you have sold into Egypt. So now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now, the things in which the prophets long to look into to understand from what you, you see. Look at what he says. You sold me here. You yourselves sold me here. You yourselves sold me into slavery. You yourselves did this to your own blood brother. Well, God sent me before you to preserve life. You did this, but it's God's hand in this. It's God's hand and his providence that has done this. So God sent me before you to establish for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive for a great remnant of survivors. God is the one who's keeping the remnant alive. He is the one who has caused the, the, the slavery that has come about, these things that have occurred, the dreams that have happened, the, the understanding of the dreams that have occurred. And Joseph coming into this position, God is the one who has done this. You sold me, but God has done this. Don't be grieved. I love that. Don't be grieved or angry. God has done this. Look at verse 8. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me into Egypt, but God. And he, God, has set me up as the father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his household, and ruler over the land of Egypt. God sent me there. Hurry, and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has sent me as Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. God has done this. These things which you did, God has used for good of many. These things that look evil on the face of things are what God has used for good. Of course, we, you cannot go through Genesis without Genesis 50-20. 
You just have to be, you, 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 you can try to avoid it, but I think you do violence to the text when you do not address it. Genesis 50, 20, before he passes, Joseph passes many chapters later, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to do what has happened on this day to keep many people alive. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Now I'm just going to, I'm going to betray my hand. I'm going to show you my hand. I, I stop right here and say this, listen, there are those that hear the story of Christ and the crucifixion and do not see it. All they see is men's evil. They do not see God's redemptive plan in it. They cannot understand it as God's redemptive plan is the death of Christ to save the remnant. What you thought was evil, I will use as good. I mean, the story, this narrative is unbelievable when you look at it, when you, when you consider what is it, what, what is there, as he reveals himself to them. He says this reconciliation that goes on Go to my father, say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has set me up a Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay, and you shall live in the land of Goshen, which is a very fertile land in Egypt, in the, in the, in the Nile River Delta that is there, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come. Think about that. Lest you and your household and all that you have be impoverished. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. It is your brother Joseph speaking to you these things speaking those words of life to them. Giving true life to them. Can't help but think that in 1 John, what does is, what is the apostle say? Uh, this word of life that we beheld, that we saw, that we touched, that we heard, Joseph is the life giver of the remnant here. Joseph, who has been sold into slavery, ends up being the one that is the giver of life. Jesus is the one who dies on the cross and is the giver of eternal life. We see parallels that are there. We see those things that the prophets and the patriarchs long to understand. Ones who they would not see Jesus in their lifetime or understand the Christ event in their lifetime. So you must tell my father in verse 13 of chapter 45, so you must tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. You must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterward his brothers talked with him remember how angry they were before and they could never talk to their brother and now they're talking to him if you want to talk about a restoration story this is it this is brilliant there is nothing quite like this in all of scripture except for the christ event there is nothing that that parallels the amazement of this until we get to jesus and what jesus does in restoration this is a tiny little microcosm of the giant restoration that Christ does for his remnant. Verse 16 is the restoration. Now the news was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. It, is, it was good in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Now do not concern yourself with your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. I am hoping that you are seeing parallels to what Christ does. Christ does not give us second-hand goods. He gives us the best of the best. There is nothing greater than what Christ gives. He robes us in the, in the, in the, in the whitest of linens. He gives us the best of the land of heaven. And here, this, we see this little parallel. Don't concern yourself with these things that you have now. They are nothing compared to what you will receive in Egypt. Come to me. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Now to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best of things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, Do not be stirred up on the journey. He knows the way brothers are. Don't argue with one another. Don't fight with one another. He can even remember how they were talking amongst each other beforehand. There is nothing to do. Everything is taken care of. Everything is in my hands. I have told you the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. There is nothing to argue about, which is why in our Christian life, as Christ followers, arguments among Christ followers should never occur. Right? We are supposed to treat ourselves and, and others in certain ways. To look at others as more valuable than ourselves. To serve others greater than we serve ourselves. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But his heart was stunned, for he did not believe them. I can't even imagine the father saying that, I, you know, understanding. When you thought your son was torn apart by wild animals, and now this, yet they told him, all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him. Then the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go see him before I die. Of course, this sets up the redemptive story that will occur the redemptive narrative, if you turn back to Genesis 15, 13. Then God said to Abram, know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. That's what eventually will happen. But God and Joseph in slavery, God and Joseph in prison, God and Joseph as the second in command, God and Joseph saving his people. God is above all these things. God is over all these things. God's providence is at play in all these things. And God can use and does use the depravity of men to bring about his salvific plan. God sent Joseph into slavery and then into the second in command of Pharaoh to save Joseph's family. God sent Jesus as fully man. where Jesus was lessened to be as we are 
to be a slave to save all the elect. Romans 10.9. Let's take a look. You confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Joseph's brothers and all of Egypt bowed before him. All will bow before Christ. Believers and unbelievers alike will bow before Jesus. We remember out of John when Jesus was in the garden and we have a cohort, the Roman cohort comes to arrest him, which is between 500 and 1,000 people. And when he announces his name, what happens? They all hit the ground. I can tell you right now, there's a whole bunch of unbelievers in that crowd, and they all hit the ground when they heard his name. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. I'll start in 9. Therefore God also highly exalted him, that is Christ, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, that is every without exception, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Joseph and uh, God's providence uh, will have his family settle in Egypt. Jesus, Jesus's people, those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Savior, will settle in His kingdom. John chapter fourteen, two and three. John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may also be. He also prepares that place for me. He also prepares that place for you, all those who are found in Christ Jesus. This Jesus is, he is the greater. He is the great savior. He is the one whom we see a little shadow of Christ-like things in Joseph. How the unlikely things are used to do the greater things. And we see the greatest thing done in Christ and the cross and taking on the sin of those who believe in him so that they may live in eternity with him. He is the greater, Matthew chapter 12, verse 41 and 42. Jesus speaking, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment. And will condemn it, condemn this generation, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. That greater is Jesus Christ. We see Joseph, as the Israelites heard the story, and we see how great it was what he did in reconciliation and redemption, and we know that Jesus is far greater than what Joseph did. Joseph merely saved physically. Jesus saves physically and spiritually in in, in the entirety. He is the one who rescues sinners from the famine and drought of sin. 
in certain damnation. He is the one that beckons us to come into the promised land. Who says to to eat of the milk and the honey that is here. That to drink of the water that never runs dry. That to live in the spirit that that will fully sustain. This is the Jesus who is greater than Joseph. This is the Jesus whom Joseph was a precursor towards. This is the Jesus who the remnant came through the line of Joseph to save. I would would commend all of you that if you believe in Jesus, to think more and greater and deeper about Jesus. To consider all the work that he has done to bring about your salvation of which you had nothing to do with. And if you don't believe in Jesus, I encourage you to see one of us here to tell you about the good news of Christ, that to believe in him and confess his name, you will be saved from your certain eternal damnation. Because there is only one that saves, and it is Christ alone. By faith alone and what he has done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we only have thanks. And our thanks are so inadequate for what you have done. We ask that you help us to understand the story of Joseph, to understand what is done there, to understand how that points to the greater work that you have done. We ask that you help us in our biblical knowledge, that we rely upon your character that is revealed in the scripture, in the character of the Father, in the character of the Holy Spirit, the three in one. Please be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.